Hey, this is comedian Bob Smiley, and you are listening to my favorite podcast, the the could you hold the sign up a little? The Christian Music Guys. Is that what it's called? Christian Music Guys podcast. My favorite. Welcome back to the Christian Music Guys podcast. Today we have a special guest, Bob Smiley, who has been doing stand-up comedy for over 20 years. He's he's toured with bands such as the Newsboys, Third Day, Jeremy Camp, and Mercy Me. He's an author of three kids' books and a podcast for Focus on the Family under the brand name The Adventures of the Average Boy. Let's go on to the interview with the funny man, Bob Smiley. Jesse oh, are we off, right? I didn't. I didn't get the tone on my end. Usually, it makes I a mean, little ding. I have heard of a slow start. You know, we don't have to jump in guns a blazing, but a thirty-second pause after. <laughs> Just letting the anticipation build, Bob. This I tell people often. Welcome to the least professional interview you're about to experience in your career. Okay, anytime yeah, let's, you're let's, with us. Let's jump into that because when you guys uh, message me and ask me to be on your podcast, I always go back and listen to somebody's podcast so I know, you know, what I'm what I'm getting into. And so I was sure. looking, I was scrolling down and I was like, what what do I want to listen to? And then I I saw that you guys did one on uh, Christian comedy, and I was like, well, that's the one I want to listen to. <laughs> and so I started listening, and you guys started talking about Mark Lowry. Okay, you know, he's the grandfather of Christian comedy, so fine. And then you got to Tim Hawkins, and I was like, okay, well, naturally, if you go by YouTube standards, <laughs> I'm next, you know. And, I'm, and then you jump to Trey Kennedy. Like, there was a span of us working before Trey Kennedy showed up. And I was like, okay, well, they're going to eventually get to that. And then John Chris. And I was like, okay, good buddy of mine. So naturally, next. And they were like, well, that's all the time we have for now. So <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Just, you had one listener not enjoy the podcast. Uh, well, we, we, the thing is, is we we wanted to give you your own uh-huh, show. Yeah. episode. Yeah, it's, you it's don't see those other guys on there. Okay, so Jesse's gonna stay in a permanent pucker and, and kiss up the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I'm the PR guy, you know. I, I got I'm putting the positive spin on things. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, how how have things? Thanks, obviously. Thanks for being here with us and. Uh, and just uh, how things been going? I know. I mean, obviously, everyone's had an interesting couple of years. I'm sure as a comedian, things changed for you. Uh, uh, what's been going on in your life uh, in the last couple of years? What's that looked like for you? And how are you doing now? Getting well, back into the swing of things, or 
I always feel weird answering that because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I know there's a lot of people that have been, you know, hurt by this, but uh, I got really good at Uber Eats driving. I mean, I yeah. had a talent <laughs> there that I did not know I had. And um, no, that's, that's what I did. Like uh, I remember in March, I was sitting in front of my computer and COVID was just starting to take over. And I was like, Ooh, I wonder if this is going to affect me. And literally in a week I had 73 shows cancel for the rest of the year. Wow. Like it was just all done. And so I was like, okay, here we go. You know, I'm, uh, I got my degree in elementary ed. I was going to be a teacher. And so mm -hmm. I uh, immediately started substitute teaching and uh, which is so not like comedy. I was like, yeah. I showed up the first day and I was like, where's the green room? And they were like, uh, it's the teacher's lounge. It's not called the green room. <laughs> um, I didn't want to start my lesson because I didn't get an introduction. You know, it's just so different than teaching, um, you know, from comedy. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't see a hand towel or a water bottle. Like I'm not going on until. And so, yeah, it took a little bit of adjustment uh, to, to get used to that. I didn't sell a lot of merch each day. Uh, substitute teaching and you know there's yeah. a, a lot of bit difference and stuff but uh yeah I mean we got through 2020 and then 2021 it was funny because everybody talked about 2020 being bad and 2021 was like really hold my beer you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no joke no joke it was it was insane so uh but shows are starting to come back and you know um everybody's kind of booking last minute uh which is Great, because I'm actually reading where they're wandering in the desert right now. That's where I'm in in my uh, Bible reading plan. And I was like, yeah, we daily manna. That's, you know, just daily yeah. manna. So, you know, that's how that's how we're living. And I'm telling my kids, like, don't eat the manna in the morning. Let's wait. You know, we know God's got <laughs> us, but let's, uh, you know, let's just yeah, make now, sure we're and now the manna's And now it's delivered by Uber Eats, right? Yeah. I remember, so I'm one of the few guys, I'm, I'm actually the only guy that has two dry bar comedy specials. Um, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with dry bar, but, um, yes. you know, you get a special and it's a big deal. And so when you go record, you record two shows and you're supposed to record the exact same show. And then if you stumble over a word or something, then they can, you know, mix and match it and all that kind of stuff. But I did my first set and it went really well. And so when I was in the green room getting ready for the second show that night, I was like, I'm going to do a completely different set, which you're not supposed to do. And they even talked to you <laughs> about that and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I did. I went out and did a completely different set. And even the producer was like, afterwards, he was like, why did you do that? And I was like, well, you know, just in case you want to do two specials. And he was like, no, <laughs> comedians only, you only get, we have so many comedians lined up. You're only going to get one special. And then COVID hit and they couldn't film. And so mm. I contacted him and I was like, hey guys, I just want to remind you, you know, I've got that second special. So they put out a second special. So this is, <laughs> I know you ask a simple question and I'm giving you a plot, but um, <laughs> this is how my, this is how my life has gone lately. When my second dry bar special came out, which was a huge deal, uh, a friend of mine, Claiborne Cox, who's a comedian, um, who also you didn't mention on uh, your podcast, <laughs> He called me on a Sunday night when my dry bar special dropped and he was like, no way. You just had a second dry bar come out. Did you know that? Like it was, this is amazing. And I, I had to go, Hey, Claiborne, I really appreciate it. But, um, I've got to deliver this Taco Bell to this third floor <laughs> right now. And then we can talk about my second dry bar special that came out. It was a perfect humbling moment of, 
okay, I got to get this family some food and then we can talk yeah. about my comedy career. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird how like God brought us, we talked, uh, before the podcast, like we started the average boy podcast, uh, because I write uh, average boy for uh, clubhouse magazine, which is focused on the family's junior high magazine. And they decided to try a podcast just to see if families would listen together. And so we tried it. We, uh, I wrote the scripts and, and recorded it, uh, in December of 2019 and they put out 13 episodes just to see if it would work. And it worked really like way better than they thought. So then all of a sudden they had a budget for it and we're going to, you know, put some money behind it. And uh, so they decided they contacted me in March when everything was canceling saying, hey, we want you this. We want this to be a, a big part of your, your you know, career and stuff. And so, I mean, that that got us through a lot, you know, just mm. that one thing. So it was, it was interesting how God, you know, was like, here, no, I got you, you, you know, just here's some more manna. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. That's awesome. With a um a last name like Smiley, are you always mm-hmm. expected to smile? Yeah, I pretty much all. So I I grew up in a very very small town uh in North Texas. Uh I had 17 in my graduating class. Um my dad's joke was uh our cuz it was a small town. It was uh, our idea of a large industrial company was uh basically a 200 pound Avon lady. Um, that, that's his joke. I would never tell that. Um, but that's his joke, but, uh, it was, it was very small. And now I can't remember why you asked, what what did you ask me? Are you always expected to smile? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I got distracted because there's a baby, but the baby only has half a head. Yeah. (laughs) The screen is not like fully picking it up. And yeah. so, um, so that kind of threw me. I was like, oh, "Okay, is this a ghost podcast?" <laughs> We're uh, talking about. So, uh, so my dad was my superintendent, and my dad is really, really funny. And so he would like come eat lunch with me during, uh, you know, at school and stuff. And so we were kind of known as the funny family. And so Smiley has always been, you know, great. But so when I started doing comedy, everybody thought I changed my name. Uh, for the stage but that's just the name that i've been had had forever and it's so much better like bob smiley is so easy to google you know i got friends like sure. darren streblo nobody really <laughs> they don't even know how to spell darren because you know it's got, does it have two r's one r and then you get to streblo and you're like you know what i'm googling bob smiley it's so much easier so i really yeah. feel like i lucked out with a with a good name yeah I saw John Christ one time live and he, he said, everyone thinks my name is John Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely not. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, uh, um, I mean, I, you know, like I was like, I, I don't feel bad about asking about his last name. Smiley. I'm sure he hears it a lot, but I think we've earned the right. Our last name's pretty. Uh, so yeah. growing up with a last name pretty, I think, you know, we, we've heard them all too. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, so, it's weird. I, I could have been, uh, I guess I could have been a dentist. I actually uh, did photography right out of college, um, and so Smiley worked well for that as well. So there's a lot of little locations I could have done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Funeral director? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would be. <laughs> hey, waka, waka, waka. <laughs> oh, <I'm> So the, the other day there was a there was a, a news article that was released where they found this new mummy um, that they were, were storing and everything, and he was covered in chocolate and nuts. And they were trying to figure out who the favorite was, and they finally landed on that they think his name was Pharaoh Rache. 
I see why you guys built in a 30 second pause. It's to get, yeah, like listeners used to, in case, you know, Christopher tells a joke. But yeah, forgive Chris. He's a new dad, so he's still honing in on his dad jokeness. Yeah, and so he's yeah. just going to try a few out on us occasionally. Yeah. But he's only been a dad a few months, so he hasn't really perfected it yet. So I know this will be audio for podcasts, but are you guys doing the video as well? No. Okay, because I want other people to see this floating baby head. I feel like I'm watching Teletubbies again. Like, this is... And I haven't watched Teletubbies since, like, last week, so... It's been a while. It's been a while. It's a blast from the past. Yeah, that's that's what happens whenever you're you're the dad sitter for the day. Yeah. The kid's so, quiet, Bob, but the pacifier, because you have a green screen behind you, so the pacifier is not picking up. So it looks like yeah. you've got the logo on the pacifier, which is <laughs> good product placement. Good marketing. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're dedicated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Bob, how did you get your start? Like, how did it all come about, like, with you going into comedy? And because I know you said, you know, you started in photography, you had some stuff in photography and everything, but. How did comedy come about? Yeah, I was going to be a, a teacher. I was going to kind of follow in my dad's footsteps and uh, be a, a teacher and then a principal and then a superintendent. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, before I became a teacher, I wanted to see what it was like to make money. Uh, and teachers don't. So I had worked for uh, this photographer during summers. And so he wanted to hire me you know, to do corporate events and stuff like that. And so um, I did that for a year. Well, my junior year in college, they had a stand-up competition, and um, I wasn't even going to enter it. The lady actually called me the night before the competition because they were having high school weekend, so they wanted to have this big, you know, hey, look at us. We're a fun college kind of deal, and so they were having all these activities, and one was a stand-up competition, and she called me the night before and was like, how come you didn't sign up? And I was like, "Uh, I know everybody says I should be a comedian, but, you know, I like comedy, but, you know, I don't think I can do it. And uh, she was like, well, we thought when we came up with the idea, we thought you and a friend of mine named Mark, uh, who's really funny, would at least sign up. And they and neither one of us did. So they were worried it wasn't going to be good. And uh, so she actually she was like, well, we know how frugal you are, because I was pretty notorious for being really cheap. And uh, she was like, we thought the cash prize would have helped. And I was like, wait a minute. What? And they were like, yeah, like first prize is five hundred dollars. And I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And so. I, I did the stand-up competition. It was my junior year in college. I won not because I was good. Everybody else was so bad that, you know, I, I looked good. And I won. And then two years later, while I was doing photography, a guy who saw me do that stand-up competition, he went out and uh, started road managing uh, Clay Cross, who you did talk about on your podcast. Uh, on the podcast about Christian comedians, Clay Cross got a mention. But not. Uh, but anyway. you got your own episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But come on, guys. Can we be honest? We all know Tim Hawkins didn't reply to you guys. So. <laughs> no, <we are> <laughs> I know all three of you are sitting there going, Bob stands for bottom of barrel. Like we are straight <laughs> the bottom. You know, what, what was funny when you guys were talking about uh, Clay Cross, because uh, Mark Lowry did uh, 
you know, I surrender all parody. Um, I can eat it all. And mm-hmm. oh, let me finish my story. So uh, this guy was road managing Clay Cross. They were getting ready to leave for tour. And Clay said it'd be fun to have a comedian come out and kind of MC and, and, you know, keep everybody entertained. And so this guy was like, I saw this guy in college. I thought he was clean and I thought he was funny. So he tracked me down. He called me. He actually, this, this will tell you guys how old I am, but uh, my pager went off. Because uh, I made that kind of money back then. Uh, and <laughs> I pulled over to a Cracker Barrel payphone and called this dude. And he was like, hey, we're going on tour, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and uh, he was like, do you want to go on tour? And I remember standing at a Cracker Barrel payphone, not realizing it was about to change my life. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So I flew out to Nashville and, uh, and got on a tour bus and went out as a comedian, you know, like you do. And that's that's why uh, kids will come up to me after shows and they'll be like, hey, I want to be a comedian. What do I do? And I'm like, do a, a stand up competition your junior year in college and wait for somebody to call you. Duh. That's, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> that's terrible advice. It's terrible advice. But that's how it happened for me. And on that Clay Cross tour, Clay told me, he goes, Mark Lowry came out with a, a parody of my I can I surrender all song. He said, so you're going to hear it like people are going to want to sing it to me. And so we'd be in the autograph line after the show and people would walk up and go, Hey Clay, I got something for you. And they would sing not one line from the song, the whole song. <laughs> and it was so awkward. <laughs> so I, I heard that song, you know, probably 80 times on that tour, <laughs> like Mark's that's version hilarious. of it. So, um, yeah. So that's how I got into it. Uh, literally. God kind of opened the doors and kind of kicked me through it because I wasn't going to pursue it. It wasn't anything I ever thought I could do. Um, I went out on that clay cross tour. He had some moving lights that kept breaking. And so uh, when they would break, I would have to get up on stage and stall. And so I never did open mic nights or anything, but that's where I kind of learned how to do comedy and do crowd work and all that kind of stuff was on that tour. And then uh, the newsboys saw me on that tour. And then they asked me to tour with them the next year. And it was the take me to your leader tour with third day. And mm-hmm. so that turned out to be the number one tour in Christian music. So now I'm this little kid who grew up in a town with 281 people. And I'm standing in front of four or 5,000 people a night trying to do jokes knowing i'm not a comedian i kept i kept waiting for like the comedy police to come and arrest me for being a fraud does anybody know i'm not really a comedian like why am i on tour with these guys but um yeah so that's how i got my start wow that's cool so so you said it was do a uh, uh, your junior year of high school, do a comedy competition, right? Is that what it was? The senior? Yeah, but it was college. It was in college. College, so college. Yeah. Okay. So, th- for your, um, for both listeners, do not do it your junior year in high school. Wait until college. <laughs> don't, don't waste. <laughs> so you don't, you don't want to peak too young, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a marathon, not a, not a sprint. I think the long game. So, uh, actually, Bob, I was introduced to you through the uh, bananas comedy. Um, oh, yeah. specials they did and um and obviously you had mentioned uh dry comedy bar and the specials with that what, my I guess my another question i had is do you approach something like that different than you would um like a normal set that you do or do they kind of see your set and then ask you to do that one or do they ask you to come up with the original or what, what's that look like to do a special is it any different 
Well, the first thing uh, before I do a special with an organization, I want to make sure that it has a name that's easily remembered. So if I do podcasts, they'll say the name right. Um, so yeah, the Dry Bar Comedy. Dry <laughs> yeah, Bar Comedy. Special instead of Comedy Dry. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. <clears throat> no, uh, to answer your question, uh, so when I do my shows, like just regular shows, I I know I have these bits that I'm gonna do somewhere in in my show but I don't really sit down and, and map it all out. Like I get up and I usually know what I'm going to open with. And I usually know what I'm going to close with. And about 60% of the time, I don't end up closing with what I think I'm going to close with. So it really is just getting up and reading the crowd. And cause I want, I want everybody to have like a unique comedy experience. So I'm not like, Hey, these are my jokes. Here's the, you know, can show that I have every time. So I do yeah. jump around on topics a lot of times I, i'll talk to the you know audience and stuff like that when you film a special you 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 know what material you want you show up you try to stay with you know within that material um and you try not to you know veer off and now if something crazy happens you know I've, I've had a couple of dvds where people walk in late or you know something will happen and you just you you know forget your filming and you just go with it um but for specials you really do want to be like this is the material. And also you're kind of, when you do a special, <clears throat> when you do a special, sorry, my throat, I have been doing a lot of shows lately. So my throat is like, but I kind of like it. Cause it makes me sound more like a man. Um, so <laughs> when you do a special, you also say to yourself like, okay, well you probably are going to throw away a lot of that material now if the special does well, because people have heard it. Now, there's always going to pe be people that are going to show up and be like, you know, hey, will you tell this story? You know, they want to hear some of your um, some of your classics, you know, but you really, once you do a special, you want to immediately have new stuff, um, you know, for people that have seen the special and then come out to your show. So when you do a special, you really want it to, to be like, okay, this is, this is the special. And then you go and you perform it and you give it to them and then they put it out. So I'm assuming the the audience is aware that something's being filmed, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, but lawyers roam the hillsides everywhere. So <laughs> yeah, you gotta <laughs> to make get sure. Permission. Yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah, they've gotta they've gotta you know put signs up to say you will be filmed, and you know walking into this room, you agree to be filmed, and and all that. Do you so think that makes knows. them um, laugh harder knowing that they're being taped? Do you think that helps you? Um. It, get a bigger it, laugh it can. yeah you, you usually have somebody come out and say hey guys we're recording uh, let's practice laughing and they practice you know laughing and stuff and you let them you kind of put it in their mind of like okay this this could be you know out there and so we want it to be a good show and so they feel mm -hmm. a little a uh, little pressure of like okay we've got to be a good audience a, as well um but yeah sometimes it makes them more nervous though if they I, I actually have footage of uh, one of my specials where a cameraman, it didn't make the cut of the actual special, but um, where the cameraman pans over and these, this couple is laughing and they're like, <laughs> and they see the camera and they immediately stop. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that. Can make for an, it can make for an awkward evening. Yeah. Uh, so who, who's your favorite comedian, Bob? Who, who makes you laugh the hardest? Well, Chris's, you know, joke that he told earlier. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm an up and coming comedian, you know. He Just might his page, wanna... his pager might be going off soon if he's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd start circling Cracker Barrel and just get ready for the phone call. 
Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my best friend is uh, Tim Hawkins, and uh, I think hands down, as far as talent, um, that sucker, you know, he could read the dictionary and kill. Like, he honestly, mm. everything he says <laughs> is funny. Um, he is the best guitar player I've ever toured with, and I've toured with a lot of bands, and he is hands down the best guitar player. It kind of makes me mad because I remember one day he was like, I think I'm going to learn the piano. And then like two weeks later, he's performing songs in front of, you know, 3,000 people on the <laughs> piano. And I'm like, that's, that's <laughs> not fair. We've actually written songs on the tour bus going to an event, and then he will get up and do the song that night mm. have it completely memorized and like that so i think uh i think hawkins is is probably the best that i've that i've ever seen um yeah. ryan regan uh, also just phenomenal i mean it's hard to beat his stuff is is amazing so um there's a lot of good ones out there yeah. mm. who do you guys listen to that you didn't mention on the podcast last time <laughs> uh, b- uh there's a uh, bob smiley uh-huh yep you had mentioned Regan. He's hilarious. Uh, his yeah. facial comedy, his, his, his um, mannerisms and just where he goes is, is, is hilarious. And his wording, like he, he'll take a sentence um, and just like take out normal words and put in different words that, and so you're, you're enthralled. He draws you in with language and then you realize you're laughing, and it's a great punchline. But just the way he even does his setup is phenomenal. Also, Nate Bergatsky, um, he was playing at Houston, and so my uh, wife and I got to go. And uh, he was really nice to get us tickets, and um, you know, we got to uh, we have mutual friends, so I didn't really know him at the time, and then so we got to meet him afterwards. And I was telling him, I was like, man, nobody can steal your material because. It's not really set up, punchline, punchline, tagline. It's not like a regular formula of stand-up. He literally is just talking and telling a story, and you're laughing all the way through. But then when you go back – because my wife and I, we got in the car afterwards, and we were like, all right, let's dissect it. Like where is the punchlines in all this? And we were like – we were dying laughing, and and that was a setup, really, if you're going with the formula. And so, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen to all kinds of Christian comedians. I, I listen to a few <laughs> non-Christian comedians that are pretty clean. Yeah, I, I mean, grow, growing up, we all of us growing up when we were little listened to Mark Lowry. He came to our church a few times in, in Kentucky. Yeah, except and, for uh, misspelling people's names uh, that he doesn't like when he signs an autograph. Uh, he's a pretty yeah. good guy. That <laughs> yeah. guys did it. You had to bring that back up. That's That still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. how did he spell uh, it that's what i wanted to know it, he spelled my name j-e-s-s-i-e i believe and um there's no i i mean people do it often um but yeah he's one of those that kind of stuck with me there yeah he he's phenomenal i remember uh the first year i was like i did the clay cross tour and then i got booked on a couple of festivals and i remember i was doing this festival in camden missouri and it was about I don't know, 2000 people. And like, I was nervous wreck and I got up and I did my little 20 minute set or whatever I was doing. And then Mark showed up and he did, uh, I think he headlined. And so I went to the very back of the festival and watched him. And I remember just sitting back and I was like, Oh, that's how you do it. 
like I watched him like an apprentice of like, how do you do an outdoor festival and connect with everybody? And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, he used the whole stage. Uh, you know, his facial expressions were way more, you know, exaggerated. Like it was, right. that was, that was my comedy class right there. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. It's, it's crazy how social media now is, is so huge. And it, you know, a lot of, Comedians put up like John Chris, for instance, puts out these YouTube videos and things. But we um, we have a friend uh, that lives in Louisville. Uh, his name's Taylor Ransom, and he 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 does stand up um, just on Instagram. And now he has like you know several thousands of followers just through doing funny videos, you know. And um, I think it's crazy how social media can be a huge impact on your career. Yeah. I remember uh, when YouTube first came out and I'd been doing comedy, I don't know, maybe five years or something like that. And Hawkins had been doing it for like three and I was mowing my lawn and Hawkins called me and we were talking. I was like, what do you think about this YouTube thing? And he, he had figured it out already. And it was, it had only been out for a couple of weeks and he was like, I'm putting everything on there because a lot of comics are worried about like burning material or, you know, or like if I put that out there that I can't do it in my show or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And um, and, then, and while there's a little bit of truth to that with a special, you know, if it if if the special does well, you really do need to kind of burn that material and have other stuff. But Hawkins was like, I'm just putting everything on there. Um, I've got a couple of music. Videos. He was he was just getting ready to do Cletus Take the Reel. And uh, he was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm putting it all out there. And he did, and he exploded. And all of a oh, sudden, yeah. you know, he's selling out everywhere uh, because of that. And it, it is, it's weird how uh, the internet has it's now like a huge thing, you know, that you have to factor in when you're thinking about your career. You've got to write amazing shows. Uh, you've got to take every show that you can to get up and, and perfect it and hone it and all that. But now you've got to be, you know, a social media expert to stay in front of people and you know you end up saying yes to you know podcast that only has you know a couple listeners but you do it and (laughs) you know yeah we're putting everything on youtube bob we're just gonna put (laughs) everything on youtube let's do it (laughs) so you've been performing for 20 30 years correct and yeah 24 i think 24 so out of all them years do you ever still get nervous no, not really. Uh, every once in a while, like if uh, like we uh, we joined a new church, and so um, last year a bunch of uh, the people from that church came out to see me because I was doing a local gig, and I remember I was like backstage, and I was like, "Am I getting sick? Like, what is what is up?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's nerves. I remember that, from, you know, <laughs> from twenty twenty, you know, or twenty oh two. Remember nerves." And uh, yeah. so I, I did get a little nervous about that just because I was like, then I'm going to be at church next Sunday. And if I bomb, they're going to be like, oh, well, he's not going to tithe because he's not making money, obviously. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what they would think, but I was like, well, I, was, I was a little nervous then. But yeah, for the most part, I don't really, because I mean, I've done everything. I've, I've done the junior high lock-in at 2 a.m. right after the shaving cream fight. And, you know, I've done just the worst shows i did i guess i can um so my grandmother uh or my great-grandmother uh i was really close to my great-grandparents and um she has she had alzheimer's um so uh i'm very aware of it and all this and so i got asked to come do a uh 
uh, afternoon show that was somewhat local uh, for this nursing home. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. That'd be good. Um, and it's specific for uh, Alzheimer patients. And so I got there and I found out one, they didn't know I was coming. Um, it was a board that just thought it'd be a good idea. And it was for just the staff, which I thought, you know, that's great because they, I mean, they talk about, you know, people that are doing some ministry work and stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> but they thought, since um, the lady who had put it all together had gotten COVID, they thought they would get a, you know, a break, like an hour break instead of having their normal weekly meeting. And so I show up and I'm like, uh, no. So they, there was only about 11 of them. They had to have it in the great room because the, the patients still had to be there. You know, they had to be watched and everything. And they all, and you had to wear a mask. So no microphone. I'm standing in this big great room. I've got a, a mask on. I'm trying to project where the 11 people all in different tables are sitting around, you know, around mostly on their phone. Cause they don't, you know, know who I am or anything. And then yeah. the patients are just wandering around the room. Like just oh. like, and, and so I was, and I was like, you know, if, if I would have had this gig, 17 years ago, I would have flop sweated and, you know, but, but I just embraced it. I was like, yeah, let's just do this. And I finally <laughs> kind of won him over. But one of the patients walked up behind me and I didn't know it, but I saw everybody looking around and I turned and looked over my left shoulder and she was right there. And it actually <laughs> scared me. And but you just keep going. Like I, so yeah, I don't get nervous as I, I did get the best heckle because at the end of the show, I was like, I mean, I could just tell that this was not, you know, what I thought it was going to be. And at the end, I go, okay, guys, I've just got one more story for you, and then I, I, I'll let you go. And this lady in a wheelchair who had been just wheeling around all through the tables and stuff was kind of wheeling up toward me. And I said, "This, I got one last uh, story for you. And she goes, good, because I'm tired of this. <laughs> it was like that because it was from the heart and i just turned to her and i was like yes so am i we're all tired of this so let's just let's just end this now so i mean you do you do yeah i mean i've been doing this for a long time so i've i've been in every scenario where it shouldn't work and you figure out how to make it work and so i don't really get nerves because i'm like once i get on stage you know i'm kind of in control so if it goes bad, it's because of me, you know, and yeah. I kind of, has there, have you ever had a, um, like what's been your greatest moment doing stand up? Has there been a moment to where you're like, you walk away and you're like, wow, that was, that was better, you know, than I thought it was going to be. Or, you know, you, you felt like you accomplished something big or has there been a moment like that for you? Yeah, there's been a lot of those moments where, especially opening for bands, because nobody wants to hear you, every, and everybody thinks that you're taking time away from the bands, even though you're on tour and there's a set schedule and, and all that. But yeah. like I toured with the, the Supertones, and it was always about 800 to 1,000 kids jammed into a warehouse, no chairs. <laughs> And, you know, I'm I'm doing my 15 minute set the whole time they're going super tones, super tones. You know? <laughs> and so there are moments where I actually like one crowds over, uh, you know, or festivals where they they'd asked me to come out and, uh, and do a set or stuff. And where I'm like, oh, that actually like where I remember um, I did a, a thing called Hot Hearts, which was a, a big youth uh, thing in Beaumont, Texas. And it was 
I think it was my second year. So I had about an hour worth of, of stuff and that was it. Mm-hmm. So if, um, and so I, I, I showed up and I was sitting on my merch table and, uh, there were, you know, there was just, it was like 8,000 kids. And so the kids are walking by my table and they're like, Oh, you're the snow ski guy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I found out my, my closing bit was about snow skiing and they had taken a video of the snow skiing bit and put it on with all these other songs and stuff on this DVD, like music videos. So, you know, David Crowder was there and, you know, all these other guys. So they had their music videos and they sent it out to youth leaders everywhere to get everybody excited about Hot Hearts, which is a great idea, but I didn't know that. And so I'm supposed to do uh, an hour show. So I take the snow ski bit out and I do, I do my show and it was great. It was, it was in an arena. It was, you know, 8,000 kids. And I do that, and then I get off stage, and they have a speaker, and then they're supposed to have another act, and the other act was did wasn't there yet, and so they were they were late, and so they they said, "Smiley, can you go up and can you stall?" Now keep in mind, like I'd really already done all my material, and I had some things that I was kind of working on, but didn't think it was ready for the stage. So I get up and I'm doing that, and I'm trying to do crowd work which is usually an intimate thing, but with 8,000 people, you know, like I'm trying to, and I'm stalling and all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking over the side stage and the, and the, and the stage manager is giving me the keep stretching, keep stretching. And so finally I'm just out of stuff. And I, and I look, I just pause center stage and I go, I went snow skiing and the place went nuts. And it was like, I was, it was like I was playing my hit song. That they were right. for me to do, and again, it was it was year two of, of stand up, so I didn't know that they wanted to hear you know repeat bits and stuff, and so I did that snow ski bit, and it was probably the best <laughs> I'll ever come to being a rock star. Like it was, <laughs> it was amazing. So yeah, there's been some moments like that, and I opened for uh, Switchfoot in front of uh, eighty thousand people, and wow. you know it. it when you do that, it's a sea of hair. That's all you can see. Like it's, you mm-hmm. can't really, and oh, yeah. they did, they did have jumbotrons, like uh, every 10,000 people, they had uh, jumbotrons so people could see me. And so I walked out and I'm a nervous wreck because, you know, 80,000 people, I'm like, come on. Right. And I did my first joke, which was actually a, a kind of a physical bit where I was jumping across the stage. And when I jumped across the stage, like the first jump, all of a sudden everybody started laughing and I felt it vibrate my bones in my, like my, my skeleton was vibrating because of the amount of laughter and it threw me. Like I stopped and I was just like, and I just absorbed it. I was like, Oh, this is the greatest moment of my life. And I'd already had a kid. So that, I mean, that's how (laughs) amazing it was. So yeah, there's been some, there's been some great moments. Now you talked about your great moments. What about your biggest bomb moments? Oh man, how long's the podcast? Uh, <laughs> probably one that sticks out to you. You know, um, so I was doing a, uh, I was doing a youth revival thing, and they had me in a tent. Um, so it was outdoors, and there was about six hundred kids, and they didn't have chairs, so all the kids uh, had to sit on the dirt floor. And so they were all crammed in there, like barely fit. I'm, sh- I'm sure fire marshal, you know, laws were broken. and But they're all jammed <laughs> in there. And about three rows back 
was this uh, this teenage girl, and she would not shut up. And I and she was talking to me. And <clears throat> with six hundred people, um, you can't really stop and spend a lot of time on an individual person because then people in the back lose interest and all this. So I ignored her for a little bit, but she just kept shouting out stuff. And so I rarely turn on hecklers, but this was probably year three or four where I felt like I was becoming a comedian. So I felt, you know, comfortable on stage and I was just so annoyed. I was like, already it's the middle of the day. It's hot in this tent. Everybody's having to sit on the floor. So they're uncomfortable. They've already thrown me to the wolves. Like this is a bad situation for comedy and I'm, I'm trying to survive. And this girl and she, and her youth leader was right there and her youth leader wasn't saying anything. So I finally turn to her and I give her the attention I thought she wanted. And I say some things that weren't overtly mean, but I kind of, you know, put her in her place and she starts bawling, like just starts crying. I later, I'm going to Quentin Tarantino, this story for you. I'm going to give you the ending first. (laughs) I later find out she's bipolar. So Mm. totally my heart goes out to anybody, you know, dealing with that. But if you're bipolar, then the youth leader should have stepped in and like stopped her or something. And so I, I say some things to her. She starts crying and she stands up and she goes, you're the worst person I've ever met. And then she starts (laughs) trying to walk out the back of the tent because everybody's crammed in. She's having to step over people. So it takes Uh. her about three or four minutes to work her way. So the whole time she's like, you're not funny. Excuse me. Can I just step over here? You are, you are the worst comedian. I'm sorry. Can I step over here? Just, I'm trying to get out in this. I don't know how you sleep at night. You know, like it was. <clears throat> so that one kind of, I don't know why that sticks out in my mind as a bad show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder not what it my was. best. Yes. You know, maybe somewhere there's a, um, um, a, a lady on a podcast sharing her version of that story where the yeah. comedian attacked her. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> all I was doing was saying something after every sentence he said. Like, I <laughs> yeah, that's I all I did. <laughs> <laughs> she was the first Karen, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, I did a show for a group called, they called themselves 55 or better, but there was nobody there that could remember being 55. And, <laughs> And uh, it was a luncheon. It was for their lunch. So it was like 10 a.m. in the morning. And they there was about maybe 30 uh, people there. And it was local. So, you know, I was like, yeah. And there was a lady down front. And, and uh, again, uh, she had Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. I always say it wrong. Alzheimer's. Um, and so she didn't realize it was a show. She thought we were all just hanging out and talking. So... I, I was doing this bit about uh, being in Alabama. And so she starts talking to me. And it's like, oh, I used to live in Alabama. And so I like talked to her. But it was one of those times where I really felt like God was with me because everything she said, I either had a bit or I had an ad lib to go with it. Um, and so it literally hecklers rarely ever help the show. But the thing she was saying and because she was such a sweet lady, it it made yeah. this very unique show. And at the very end, I decided I was going to do a callback uh, joke about Alabama. 
And so I did that kind of slamming Alabama because I knew she was from there. And she stood up and she put her arm up like she was going to slap me. And I thought, oh, I did so well for 45 <laughs> minutes. I, I'm, and she put her arm up like that and she leaned over and she hugged me. And the rest of the people just broke out in applause. And she was mm. like, that was wonderful. And that was one of the best moments. And it was a small yeah. crowd, but I connected with her and mm. uh, it, was just, it was really cool. So for every, you know, bad show that you have, you still have those, you know, those memories of like, man, sometimes it goes really well. Yeah. Well, Bob, uh, we, um, we always like to get, if we ever have an interview, um, to give you a chance to give the person we're talking to a chance to share their testimony uh, with us. The and, and it can be, you know, uh, your testimony about how you came to the faith or or just what the Lord's been doing in your life here in this last season. Um, we'd love to, if you'd be willing to share that with us. Um, yeah, uh, my testimony uh, was kind of boring for a while. My friend Tim Hawkins has a great line. He's like, you ever listen to somebody give their testimony and it's so much better than yours. And you're like, man, I wish I was addicted to crack. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't have. Um, so I grew up with loving Christian parents, um, just really good uh, Christian families, uh, grandmothers, grandfathers, all good influences. Um, so, I mean, I was a, a Christian pretty early on. My parents did a good job, not forcing like we, we, Sorry, uh, we had to go to church. So, um, but that was really the only thing they didn't. They didn't force me to uh, do a Bible study every morning, or um, you know, they weren't keeping track of whether I was reading my Bible or anything. Uh, and while that's not the, the definitely the cookie cutter way to to parent kids, it was perfect for me because I'm very strong willed yeah. and you know opinionated and all that kind of stuff. But because yeah. I respected my parents, I was like, well, if they believe this, I want to look into this. And the more I looked into it, I was like, oh, man, you, it, you can't be denied. Um, so yeah. it's kind of a boring testimony pretty much throughout. So I went to a Christian college. Um, you know, I wanted a Christian education. Um, I went to Abilene Christian. They're like, you can't put a price on Christian education. But, man, they billed me for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And then started doing comedy. And I, I found out that people, if I can make them laugh. They would lower their walls and they would actually listen to what I would say about Jesus. And so I, I had this platform where I could, you know, share testimony or share, uh, you know, encouraging words or, you know, stuff that that happened. Um, so pretty boring testimony up until about 20, I think 2017. Um, I don't Do you guys know my story? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I was married uh, for 17 and a half years. Uh, we had three kids. And then uh, she just left. Like she uh, met this guy at our church uh, who mm -hmm. had way bigger bank accounts um, and just, you know, left. And uh, she's married now and she's rich and, you know, she's happy or whatever. Um, but she just left. And so I grew up in this very loving Christian home and mm -hmm. uh, ended up with a career that I never thought I would have. Um, and yeah. It was for for a long time. The thing I, I say on stage is, you know, I used to travel around and tell people that God could get you through anything. But mm -hmm. looking back, man, I was standing on a mountaintop pretty much the whole time. And yeah. so when she left and I was a single dad of three kids and not <clears throat> I wasn't sure that churches would even have a divorced 
comic, even though it wasn't my you know choice or desire or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, would yeah. they even book me? So is my career over and all that kind of stuff? Like that was a really dark time. And mm-hmm. so that when you ask about my testimony, like I, you know, I was a Christian early on, baptized, um, you know, really didn't stray from anything. And uh, but I really wasn't tested. I, I didn't really, yeah. you know, have my wandering in the desert kind of thing uh, until that time. And um, I really look back on that and I'm like, oh, so for years I was telling people God could get you through anything. And now I can stand in front of people and be like, he can get you through anything. Let me tell you why that I can say that Um, because he did like he put people in our lives that, you know, came over there. A lady. I mean, I I knew her. We'd gone to church with her for a long time. So I knew her and she was a single mom, uh, two girls. And I knew her. I really liked her, but we didn't interact or really hang out or anything. And um, when when everything like came out and, you know, everybody figured out what was really going on uh, with these these two, you know, because because my ex is with this guy that we used to hang out with him and his wife all the time. We'd vacation together and all this kind of stuff. And um, and so when that happened, you know, when it all came out in the church. Uh, it was interesting to see how church people reacted to it. And the yeah. people that I thought would have yeah. our back the most didn't at all. And we're like, yeah. well, it happens, you know, um, you know, you got to follow your heart. And if you're, you know, heart loves, <laughs> loves money, um, then you follow your heart, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff, like a lot of justification. And yeah, this one particular lady who I'd known, but we weren't really good friends, started bringing food over for me and the kids. And like, yeah. you just really saw the hands and feet of Jesus uh, being yeah. like, like, like acted out in front of you of people loving mm-hmm. on us and praying for us. And, and of course, when I kind of went public, um, man, the outpouring of prayers from fans and, you know, just people that were really ready to stand, you know, in the gap and, uh, you know, and walk through you with it, you know, was, was amazing. You know, I called Hawkins. He was the first person I told, and, uh, he gave me great advice. He was like, don't go through this alone. Um, he told me I could call his Butler anytime that I was feeling lonely. Uh, no, this, uh, this, um, no, but it was great advice. Um, you know, Satan loves isolation. And mm-hmm. so he was like, don't go through this alone. So if you start feeling, cause I would get, I would get the kids to school and then I'd come back to an empty house and man, I would just sit in my empty house just in mm. the cloud of depression would come over me and just like, man, it was, it was bad. So, uh, when you ask about my testimony, man, that really was a time of like, okay, what do I really believe? You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, can God really carry you through, uh, you know, when times are, are not good and, um, man, he really did. Like he really like, kind of carried me and the boys through that, that troubling time. And so that really, I think is the biggest part of my testimony is just, you know, yeah. see God come in and, and it wasn't always great, but I mean, there were definitely some times where God intervened or, or gave us, we keep talking about manna, but like keep giving us just what we needed that day to get through <clears throat> that day, you know, pretty yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's um, faithful. Thank, thanks for sharing that with us, Bob. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Like um, our parents divorced in 1999, and we were all young. I was, I'm, I'm the oldest, but um, you know, they they were church going people. You know, uh, children's pastors in the church, and like you, you didn't see it coming, and it just happened. 
and um, it was very devastating. And, you know, thank God for his redemption um, and his grace, because, you know, um, you know, we could have, we could have went down a road and, and stayed down that road. But, you know, if, you know, some of us did go down roads that we, you know, we regret and, um, but thank God that, you know, he's always right there. He's there to, to, uh, open us, you know, let us come back in and, um, be with him. And, you know, he's always right there for us. And yeah. Um, and even if you make mistakes during that time, you know, because I, I was obviously in like a world because my, my world caved in and I didn't see it coming. I felt betrayed. I felt uh, there was a lot of lying and uh, secrecy and all this stuff going on. And, you know, and I did make bad decisions. There was, there was one day, uh, it's embarrassing, but, uh, I binge watched the entire Gilmore girls, uh, series. Don't judge me. Like I was in a dark time, but, <laughs> but we all made, we've all been there, brother. We've all yeah, been there. Like, I'm just, I might as well watch this, you know, like, um, so it, it really, yeah, the, the temptation to, it, it's one thing to have your world, you know, crumble, but then if you don't have support or anything to help, you know, get back up, uh, man, that's, I think Satan loves whenever we get knocked down, uh, where we get knocked down and we stay down. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's the big key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks again for sharing that and, and just being, being open and vulnerable with us and listeners and everything. Um, so as we're coming to a close here, let us, let us know what, what's, what, what can we expect for the future of Bob Smiley? Um, well, one of the great things about the quarantine was I got to write a lot. And so, um, I think my new show is my best stuff. So, um, I'm one of the few comics that, uh, loves doing standup and I'm happy with standup. Like I'm, I'm not trying to get a movie deal i'm not trying to get a sitcom i'm not you know i just sure. like traveling around and making people laugh and talking about jesus and so uh what to expect is just you know come out to a show and and you know let me make you laugh for an hour plus or whatever and yeah just that's 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 it and uh you know you guys mentioned the average boy uh series like my third mm -hmm. average boy book for middle school kids is coming out and the average boy podcast is doing really well and so it's a great way to connect with a younger audience um to yeah. you know bring some laughs there but also you know do the same thing like where you get to share you know scripture little testimonies or even just encouragement of how to get through like middle school um can be you know very very important and stuff so um, we're doing a lot of that, a lot of average voice stuff. And, uh, and then I'm just working on shows. And it, awesome. uh, if, if your listeners are sinners, I'm on TikTok. So. <laughs> well, They're Bob, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of our show. And um, we look uh, forward to hearing from you again. Yeah, man, this was awesome. Yeah. If you Good could uh, bring your best friend, Tim with you next time, we'd appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, hold on. Let me. Uh, yeah, he said no. Yeah. Well, maybe he, maybe his butler. Yeah, he didn't say his butler is, uh, is available. Fantastic. That's awesome. Oh, one more thing. This is the most important thing. I can't believe.